We try to play with great pace. We try to play with great pace. Ran a lot of pick and roll, pick and pop uh, type actions. Oh, you'll see us play. Some people look at the guy next to him and say, what the hell was that shot? Hell, I could have been Gronk before Gronk was Gronk. Welcome back to another episode of of Bangarangs and Daggers. I am your stay-at-home host out here on the East Coast, Kevin Knight. Uh, as for the off-season, it'll just be me, so I hope you guys enjoy my voice uh, for this. So, um, yeah, what is it? Week four out here of working from home, and uh, yeah, it's, it's a fun time, isn't it? But anyway... Uh, we have uh, hopefully an interesting show for you today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about scheduling news that we hinted at uh, last episode. Uh, now, two weeks ago, I um, did need to take last week off. Uh, then we will break down some of the recruiting news and finally get into a uh, fun breakdown of where Nebraska ball sits when compared to all of its peers in terms of accomplishments. So without further ado, how about we get into it? Uh, as you knew from last episode, uh, Nebraska has announced that they will be having a, a new non-conference series starting with former Big 8, Big 12 member Kansas State. And uh, that was officially confirmed after the episode uh, dropped. They will be starting this next season, presuming there is a season, in Kansas City for a neutral court game, followed by a home-and-home home after that in the corresponding 2021-22 and the 2022-23 seasons. Um, now, I had asked previously to vote in a poll uh, for the episode on coordination, and the results were, for what previous team do you want to play from the Big 12 days? Far and away, the number one vote getter was Oklahoma with seven votes. And maybe I should have clarified everybody that this was for basketball. Was not asking about whether or not you want to play Oklahoma in football or not. Um, probably wouldn't change the vote results, but uh, I will make that joke. Um, but yeah, so Oklahoma won with 39% of the vote, receiving seven votes. After that, 22% of the vote went to Kansas with four votes. Then Texas, Colorado, and Missouri each received two votes, good for 11% each. And Kansas State received one vote, while Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Oklahoma State all received none. No love for the Cowboys, the Red Raiders, or the Cyclones. Uh, eh, you know, I'm sure... Uh, Coach Hoiberg would be a little bit torn whether or not you guys made him play Iowa State or not. So uh, I can't really fault people voting no on that one. But that's, uh, that's the results on that. So let's, without further ado, go ahead and get into the recruiting news, which has heated up uh, this week especially. Um, so I'm going to run down the current list of all the outgoing transfers for the Big Ten. Uh, there's been quite a few of late. For Illinois, Alan Griffin, uh, sophomore, is leaving for Syracuse 
Tevion Jones is also transferring. He's a six foot seven guard sophomore. Uh, currently unsure where he's headed. And it was just announced today. I am recording this on Tuesday. Um, it was announced Kofi Cockburn is departing for the NFL draft. Or I'm sorry, not NFL. What am I talking about here? I've spent too much time in quarantine. Uh, NBA draft. Uh, Cockburn is going into the NBA draft, but he will be maintaining his eligibility. Uh, so he does have the option to return to Illinois after he meets with some scouts, uh, does some workouts with teams, and gets some feedback on what he could do to improve his draft stock if he were returned to college, which um, is something that uh, I'm going to reiterate with what Cam Mack chose to do. There's a lot of criticism of Mack uh, choosing to do that and pursue the NBA draft. Um, yeah, I mean, with the way that the rule works now, I think it's really appropriate to look at this as uh, somebody who is going in for a uh, job interview, so to speak, job interview training with career services. So think about it this way. Is it good or not when you're in college to get interview experience? The answer is always yes. Obviously, it's yes. And I apologize for my dog growling in the window. I'm sure you can hear that. <laughs> Somebody out in the dog park clearly has her riled up. Um, anyway, so as I was saying, think about it as interview experience of you can only benefit from getting interview experience with uh, learning how to go in and do it. It's the same thing of you're getting free feedback from somebody whose job it is to tell you what you do and don't do well for people that want to know his opinion for whether or not to draft you or not. And all you're doing is getting feedback from them and then returning to college. Where is the incentive to not do that? Honestly, what is the thought process of someone who, as far as I know, uh, the rules don't put a limit on it. Like you can't declare for the drafts all three years of college and proceed to go through the combine and whatnot. I mean, there you do it when you have the type of performance in a season that kind of warrants attention from an NBA scout to even give you feedback in the first place. And Mac, you know, certainly achieved that with how he performed in the Big Ten this past season. So in that regard, when you're a caliber of somebody who is going to get time from an NBA scout, there's no incentive to not do that and get free feedback from somebody whose job it is to talk to NBA teams about what you do and don't do well, or, you know, NBA teams themselves for that matter, doing workouts with them and getting feedback on, you know, Hey, we would be interested in you. If you could do X, Y, Z better, go back to college for the season, work on X, Y, Z. That's just common sense. Uh, applaud anybody who's smart enough to take advantage of that because you know it's worthwhile to do um the, the worst thing you could do is declare and lose your eligibility and not be able to come back but as long as you're doing it with the ability to come back to college it's free career advice from people who have the types of opinions that are extremely valuable to get those from
So bear that in mind. Uh, and now that I'm done with that tangent, uh, continuing down the list of off-season transfers, the Iowa Hawkeyes have been struck with the transfer bug of Cordell Pemsey, who is a redshirt junior uh, forward for them. It is unknown at this time where he's going, but he is uh, has announced that he's transferring. Ricky Lindo Jr. of Maryland, a sophomore, has uh, will be transferring. And obviously we already know Mikel and McKee Mitchell transferred after uh, winter break, and they went to Rhode Island. The Michigan Wolverines received news yesterday that David DeJulius, their uh, sophomore guard, who is one of the key contributors off the bench, will be transferring. Uh, that broke yesterday. Obviously, we don't know necessarily where, uh, but he is in the transfer portal, um, which leaves those pesky Wolverines with a pretty slim guard roster. Actually, they only have two returning scholarship players who uh, are guards for them. So they're, uh, they're hurting a little bit there. Um, after that, obviously, we all know the Nebraska Cornhuskers situation, Deshaun Burke Jr., Gervais Green, and Cam Mack are all gone. It was confirmed since our last episode, Cam Mack is not just presumed to transfer. He announced regardless of whether he returns to college or not, it will not be to Lincoln. Um, Samari Curtis transferred after last semester already. He's at Evansville. Deshaun Burke Jr. will be going to South Alabama, and Gervais Green is still undetermined at this time. The Northwestern Wildcats are losing Anthony Milnati, redshirt junior, uh, knowing where he's going. Ohio State is losing DJ Carton and Luther Mohammed, uh, freshman and sophomore. Uh, Carton's a serious blow to them. Penn State is losing Kyle McCloskey, a redshirt sophomore. Purdue had very unfortunate news for them yesterday. Matt Harms, a seven foot three monster center of the Big Ten. The redshirt junior is transferring. Um, that only broke yesterday, so we have no idea where he may or may not end up at. Um, but that is a big blow to Purdue. And if you like center play and you don't necessarily have any skin in a game, um, the loss of harms is actually uh, detrimental to the conference in, in that sense, too, if, if you so choose. Now, of course, it would be fun to think if harms could come to Nebraska, uh, if Coach Hoiberg would go after somebody who's taller than 6'9 for a change and can play center fully in the Big Ten and go toe-to-toe -to -toe with everybody, uh, that would be fun. Um, but realistically, uh, harms is not going to end up in Lincoln. Uh, he does have the athleticism that I think he could generally provide some valuable minutes. He'd probably have to rest a bit with how much running a Hoiberg system looks to do, but he's athletic and could definitely be a key difference in a lot of games that Nebraska ended up losing this past season. Um, I think you'd see a significant improvement in things like, for example, uh, three-point defense. Uh, there were times where we just got lit up from the three-point line because we were going down low, double teaming guys, because we didn't have the height, people like harms for that matter, uh, where we we did a great job shutting down the basket inside, but it just left too many guys open from behind the three-point line, and they lit us up, and they'd go on runs in the second half, and the game would be iced. And that was that. And if we could have somebody like harms contributing valuable minutes, if not necessarily able to play throughout the entire game, that would be a huge, huge difference in the win-loss outcome, even this past season. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, is it going to be the difference between that and a Big Ten title? Of course not. Obviously, you know, they didn't have the talent for that, even in the even if it wasn't the type of year that the Big Ten had in terms of depth. But I think that you'd really, uh, I mean, you're all intelligent people. You wouldn't be surprised how big of a difference it would have made in terms of not being at the bottom of the Big Ten if we had been able to to have a big man like him. Um, Rutgers has not been struck by the transfer bug, and Wisconsin, obviously, we already know, we got Kobe King out of them. So um, it's great news for Nebraska there. Uh, incoming transfers, um, I'll make this one real quick. Maryland has Jarris Hamilton, a sophomore from Boston College. He's a forward. Michigan has Brandon Wade, a sophomore out of Dequez. I'm going to mispronounce it. I never know how to pronounce a school. Dequesney. Um, Michigan State uh, actually had him transfer in last season, but coming off the bench this upcoming season will be Joey Hauser, who transferred from Marquette and had to sit out for a year because of the NCAA's absurd rules on who gets waivers and who doesn't. The Minnesota Golden Gophers have Liam Robbins coming out of Drake. He's a seven-foot center. Um, oh, and I forgot to mention... Uh, Oh, wow. Why am I blanking on his name? Their star center, however, has declared for the um, Oturu, uh, declared for the NBA draft. Uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers joining the team this season, uh, this next season, obviously. Uh, Delano Banton out of Western Kentucky. Uh, unsure if Kobe King will be able to play immediately or not. Trey McGowan's out of Pittsburgh. Shamil Stevenson out of Nevada. Derek Walker out of Tennessee and Kobe Webster out of Western Illinois, whose name you're also familiar with by now, probably all those players will either be are expected to be eligible next season or will be uh, eligible next season after sitting out on the bench this past season. Uh, Northwestern Wildcats gain Chase Audage out of William and Mary, a sophomore. Ohio State gains Seth Towns, a senior out of Harvard, uh, who's actually pretty big get get for them and a nice, uh, uh, how should I phrase it? A nice middle finger. Uh, I'll just be blunt. It was a nice middle finger to their rival, Michigan, who also went after Towns. Uh, Jimmy Soto's out of Bucknell, a junior, and Justice Sewing out of California, a junior, um, also picked up by them. Penn State adds Sam Sessoms, sophomore out of Binghamton. I'm, I'm really sorry about that. And uh, that is it for the incoming around the Big Ten. Um, as for uh, possible pickups for Nebraska, um, we were hoping that Alan Griffin out of Illinois would have considered us, but as you heard earlier, he is off to Syracuse. Uh, Tyrese Martin out of Rhode Island was also somebody who would we, we had reached out to. He is going to UConn. And Eric Stevenson... Um, out of Wichita State. Uh, I had actually talked about him already on the podcast. He decided to go to University of Washington. Um, however, Kevin Marfo out of Quinnipiac, Quinnipiac, I'm sorry, I don't know why I just said it the wrong way. Quinnipiac um, is still potentially in the running, though he has had 25 total schools reach out to him uh, last year. It was known those schools include places such as Texas A&M, Florida, Boston College, Oak 
Oklahoma State, Georgia Tech, Arkansas, Xavier. Oh, those are head coaches that have reached out. Beyond that, assistant coaches from Wake Forest, South Carolina, Rhode Island, Georgetown, VCU, Notre Dame, Seton Hall, Memphis, Penn State, Maryland even, Virginia Tech, Georgia, UConn, San Diego State, Arizona State, St. John's, Wichita State, Texas Tech, Pittsburgh, Louisville, and one of the assistant coaches from Nebraska also reached out. So a long list of suitors for the six foot eight, 245-pound transfer. Uh, Kevin Marfo, great first name, by the way, uh, has averaged, uh, let's see, it was, I'm sorry about that. Uh, he averaged 6.4 points a game total uh, for last season. It was 10.2 points per game over 30 games that he saw action in. Averaged 13.3 rebounds per game. So he averaged a double-double across the season, by the way. Uh, 1.9 assists, shot 48.4% from the field. And even as a forward, he shot 33.3% from the three-point line or behind the three-point line, rather. So, honestly, he's already, in a way, an upgrade a bit. Um, and he actually started off at George Washington and then went to Quinnipiac. So, um, you know, he's got some D1 uh, game experience there and not necessarily against some light talent. So, uh, fairly impressive stat line, and he would be a, a good get if we could get him. Um, also, uh as mentioned earlier, we have Trey McGowan's. Uh, if you read it up on him on the website, uh, it was announced over the weekend that he, the transfer guard from Pittsburgh, uh, has picked the Nebraska Cornhuskers and verbally committed. Um, Trey McGowan's is not really any uh, stranger to Nebraska, more or less. Uh, former, uh, is now former. Player Shamil Stevenson uh, used to be on the uh, pit roster and went to Nevada and is now at Nebraska. Um, also, as Xavier Johnson was originally committed to Nebraska uh, before former assistant coach Kenya Hunter left for UConn. And then Johnson ended up uh, getting released from his letter of intent by Nebraska and uh, proceeded to go to Pittsburgh. Um, but McGowan's averaged 11.6 points per game over his career, started in 64 out of 66 games for the uh, Pitt Panthers, and uh, he actually went up in total assists from 55 to 118 as a sophomore. His turnover margin also went up. He went from 80 turnovers to 94, um, but he did manage to average 1.7 steals per game and was shooting 31.1% from behind the three-point line. Mind you, that was in the ACC, uh, so it's no pushover conference by any means, so that's uh, certainly something to note. Uh, unclear whether or not McGowan's will have to will be able to get any kind of waiver or even try. Um, officially, he is uh, should be expected to sit next season, um, but he should be a good player in practice to go um, go up against when it comes to the scout team. So that rounds out the news that we have for you in terms of the schedule that we know of so far and for what we know of uh, the transfer list at this point. So at this point, we will take a break, and when we come back, 
we will look at where Nebraska sits in terms of with her peers, or its peers, rather. And we're back. So, uh, for this last segment, what I want to talk about with you guys is there's always a talk of Nebraska is the bottom of the P6 because they have never won the NCAA, a NCAA tournament game. And uh, when it comes to it, what are Nebraska's peers in the conference? And for this segment, I'm not just going to look at the Big Ten. I'm also going to look at the Big Eight as well, uh, just for fun comparison's sake. So I've the, totaled them all up and uh, put the different teams in each conference into separate tiers based on their accomplishments. Generally, the number one thing, obviously, is national titles. After that, um, if you have multiple, you're in tier one. If you only have one, you're in tier two. If you were a national runner-up in the NCAA tournament, then you're in tier three. Tier four is if you've at least made it to a final four. And tier five is everybody else. So that's a general system that I used for this. Uh, you could make an argument of things like maybe conference titles matter. Um, you know, what about NIT titles particularly? Um, and here's the fun history lesson of the episode. But who out there would be able to guess when it was that the NCAA tournament actually became the premier absolute inarguable title that it is today. And if you guessed from its inception, you're wrong. In fact, the National Invitational Tournament was considered arguably the preeminent postseason tournament up until about the mid-70s or so. Literally, in 1970, Marquette coach Al McGuire actually chose a bid to the NIT over a bid to the NCAA tournament. Why? Because he wanted the press exposure that came with the tournament in Madison Square Gardens. The NIT was a more premier tournament at one time than the NCAA. Um, so one thing that I didn't really do in depth was break down um, some of the older national titles and NCAA tournament accomplishments because, frankly, I just, I'm not a researcher. I don't have time to sit here and do this full time. Um, so some of that is not quite broken down in this. Another thing to also keep in mind that I did at least try to accommodate was, uh, as you all know, the NCAA tournament is currently 68 teams. And if you didn't know that, well, now you do. It became 64 teams in 1975 when it had increased from 32. Uh, but between, uh, let me start over. When it originally started in 1939, it was only eight teams. So if you made the Elite Eight in 1939, that means you literally made the tournament. There was no Sweet 16. There was no second round. There was no first round. You literally made the tournament straight into the Elite Eight if you were there for its inception in 1939. Um, and you know what? I'm going to throw out on Twitter the poll question for uh, who won the first NCAA tournament game. Um, you could easily cheat and look it up on Google, but don't vote and then find out afterwards. How about that? Um, so uh, the original field was 8 and 39. 
After that, it was 16 teams. So you made the Sweet 16 straight from the get-go. If you made the tournament in 1951 or 1952, and then from there, it varied between 22 and 25 teams from 53 to 74, um, when it had basically increased to 32 at that point. And then uh, finally, as I said, in 75, it expanded to 64. And as we all know, in 2011, it became 68, which is where it sits at today. So all of that is my long explanation of saying that uh, some of these I didn't necessarily break out um, too much in terms of some of the very first team claims of, you know, well, we made the Elite Eight in 1952. Well, it's not as impressive as it is if you made the Elite Eight in 2010, obviously. Um, so some of that I tried to note, but not all of it is. So just bear that in mind with some of these older um, schools where you might think, it's a bit surprising to find out that this team has a Final Four bid or a national title, for example. Um, so let's, without further ado, get into it and take a look at uh, the different conferences. Now, the Big Ten as a whole is number two between all the power conferences with 309 total NCAA bids. So the Big Ten is number two in the country with NCAA bids at 309. Uh, far and away, the number one conference in terms of NCAA bids is the ACC with 397. And a distant third behind the Big Ten, but not quite distant enough for my liking, is the SEC with 284 total NCAA bids. Um, now, I'll be honest, I pulled this number online and I didn't break down uh, whether or not it counts Maryland bids when they were in the ACC or whether it counts Maryland bids all of them even now as all being Big Ten bids. I'm honestly not entirely sure on that number but for all intents and purposes we're just going to take it as it is what it is in the Big Ten's at 309 total NCAA bids. So with that in mind Let's look at who the Tier 1 teams are in the Big Ten Conference. Uh, probably no surprise to anybody, Indiana sits at the top. Uh, the Hoosiers have five national titles and one runner-up, uh, also to a fellow Big Ten team, in fact, although they were not Big Ten uh, when they beat the Hoosiers. Um, so anyway, they've got eight Final Fours. 11 Elite 8s, 22 Sweet 16 appearances, and they've been to the tournament 39 total times, including a streak of 18 straight, which ranks 7th all-time uh, for a number of NCAA tournaments made in a row. They're also second in the Big Ten with 22 conference titles, and they have six NIT bids, one of which resulted in a runner-up. Next up on the list for the Big Ten, the Michigan State Spartans. Michigan State is the only other Big Ten team with multiple national titles at two. They also have one runner-up appearance. They have 10 Final Four appearances, which is tied for most in the Big Ten. Um, pretty sure I'm 99% right on that, if I remember the numbers right. So if I'm wrong later on, I'll correct myself, but uh, they are tied with one other school at 10 Final Four appearances. 
They also have 14 elite, elite eight appearances, 20 sweet 16s, and 33 total tournament appearances, including 23 straight, which is best for fourth best in the country and is currently still active as well. Um, though one team that is ahead of everybody in that category really should probably be losing their streak if the NCAA actually uh, has a uh, spine, as I've said before. Uh, Michigan State also has 16 conference titles, and they have a conference best six tournament conference tournaments. Uh, for some reason, I didn't actually pull how many NIT bids they've had, but it's three or four, I think. Um, none, none of them resulted in any type of hardware. Uh, the second tier for the Big Ten, though, up at the top of it, is the Ohio State Buckeyes. Ohio State has one national title. They have four runner-up appearances, and they have uh, tied with Michigan State 10 Final Four appearances. Uh, they also have 14 Elite Eights and 14 Sweet 16 appearances, along with 29 total tournament appearances. They have 20 conference titles, which is third best, and they have four conference tournament titles. They also have nine NIT appearances that resulted in two NIT titles and one runner-up. Um, and I will take this opportunity with Ohio State to also note something that I meant to add at the beginning of this, which is I do not, for this uh, segment, count anything that has been vacated by the NCAA or the Big Ten. Um, and this is something that a lot of people argue about, and I'm sorry, I don't agree with it in any way, shape, or form. If you're of the mind that, I, I respect your opinion, mind you, but I don't agree with your opinion that it counts because they played the game and the result is the result. And here's why. The fact is, is that most everything that you do, if you cheat, it gets revoked, period. So, you know, if, uh, take for example, uh, driving. If, first off, when you're caught speeding by a cop and pulled over, say it's out on the expressway, you're not going to get pulled over right where you get caught cheating. You get caught cheating by speeding, and you get pulled over two miles down the road, and you still get written up for what you did two miles ago. On top of that, if you do it enough times, then you get your license revoked. It's the same thing. If you cheat enough times, no matter when you find out about it, uh, as long as it's within a statute of limitations, if you cheat, it doesn't count. Sure, you played the game, but hey, if the same team was playing by the same rules, which was ignoring the rules, then they very well might have been able to beat you instead. But the fact is, is that as a team and as a school, and a member of the NCAA, you agree to the rules that the NCAA has. If you want to argue about whether or not the rules are right or wrong, that's fine, but they are what they are, and until they're changed, that's what the rules are. So Ohio State had uh, at least one Final Four that would have counted otherwise that I did not count in this because it was vacated by the NCAA because they cheated, and therefore it doesn't count. That's a fact. So Louisville 2013 had their national title revoked. They cheated. They broke the rules. The game was played. It doesn't matter. Guess what? North Carolina cheated in 2009 against Michigan State. Their runner-up title, or I'm sorry, their, their runner-up appearance doesn't matter. 
although granted they didn't have to re uh, revoke that because they're a blue blood and the NCAA didn't care to punish them like they should have, they still cheated. But it is what it is. Michigan State didn't win the game. North Carolina did. Michigan didn't win the game. Louisville did. The other team cheated. They got their title revoked. That's that. So for this purpose, I'm not counting when that happened. So second on the list, also had things removed for cheating, Michigan. Michigan has one national title. They have four runner-up appearances. They have six Final Four appearances, 12 Elite Eights, 14 Sweet Sixteens, and 25 total NCAA appearances. Those numbers are lower than what you might otherwise find because, as I said, I don't count ones that were vacated. They have 14 conference titles, two conference tournament titles, and they've been to the NIT 10 times, three times resulting in a title, one time in runner-up. Wisconsin also has one national title. That one actually dates back to the 50s. Uh, they have one runner-up appearances. That one's more recent in 2015. They've been to four Final Fours, six Elite Eights, and ten Sweet Sixteens. Overall, they've been to the NCAA 24 times, including a 19 straight appearance, which uh, ended, uh, what, two seasons ago now, I suppose it was? And that puts them at sixth best all time. Uh, also of note is the fun contrast of how honestly useless the program was for achieving anything because from 1947 until 1994 they were not in the NCAA tournament which brings us to another big gap they have 19 total conference titles but they didn't win one from 1947 until 2002 and then since 2002 they've had five of their 19 so most of theirs came from basically pre-Cold War days. So that's, uh, that's a fun, fun look back there. Not too many people probably remember most of their titles. Uh, they also have three conference tournament titles, and they've been to the NIT four times with uh, no particular hardware to show for it. Maryland uh, rounds out our Tier 2. They have one national title, that coming back when they were in the ACC over uh, Indiana, in fact. Uh, they have two Final Four appearances, four Elite Eight appearances, 14 Sweet Sixteens, and 28 total tournament appearances. They've won seven, only seven, conference titles, and they've won four conference tournament titles. For a basketball school, they're kind of a little bit lighter than what you would expect to view and this uh, list, don't you think? Um, on top of that, they've been to the NIT eight times, and only once did they bring home a title. Now, uh, next up in Tier 3, I'm going to start off with Purdue, and here's my reasoning on this. I debated putting Purdue in Tier 2 strictly because they lead the Big Ten in terms of conference titles. However, in the end, I decided it didn't really matter uh, because what I think I uh, justifiably decided would be the um, main decider here was success in the postseason uh, for what tier you fit into. And so while Purdue does have 24 conference titles, which is best in the Big Ten, they uh, also only have one conference tournament title, and they have no national title. 
They've only been runner-up once, and they've only been to two, count them, two Final Fours. Five Elite Eights, 12 Sweet Sixteens, and to the NCAA Tournament, 30 times total. In addition, they've ended the NIT eight times, but they only have one title and two runner-up performances to show for it. So when it comes down to it, Purdue wins the Big Ten a lot of times, but they don't really have much success in the NCAA tournament, especially because uh, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I want to say it was the early 80s was the last time that they made the Final Four. So not particularly recent. Next up in Tier 3 is the last team also uh, to be in this tier, and that is Illinois. Illinois has one runner-up appearance in the national title game in 2005. They've been to five total Final Fours, which uh, is more than Purdue. Nine Elite Eights, 11 Sweet Sixteens, which is where they differ finally between Illinois and Purdue is Illinois has had less success in their also 30 NCAA appearances. Um, However, they've had greater success once they get past the Sweet 16 than Purdue has. Uh, Illinois also has 17 conference titles, two conference tournament titles, and 10 NIT bursts that have resulted in no hardware of note. Next up is Tier 4. Uh, probably no surprise to Nebraska fans at the top of Tier 4, the Iowa Hawkeyes. Iowa has never played in a title game. They have only made the Final Four three times. After that, they've been to the Elite Eight four times, they've been to the Sweet 16 eight times, and they've only been in the NCAA 26 times total. They've won eight conference titles, though, and have two conference tournament titles, They've also been at the NIT eight times, but they've only managed one runner-up performance in doing so. Uh, Flip that to Penn State, who has one Final Four, which was in the 1950s, two Elite Eight uh, appearances, four Sweet Sixteens, and nine NCAA bursts. That's right. Nine times they made it to the NCAA, and that's it. They also only have one conference tournament title, and no, it was not a Big Ten title. Uh, I believe they were in the Atlantic 10 at the time. It is a not remotely recent title. They have, however, been to the NIT 11 times and have won the NIT twice. Uh, Most recently, I believe it was two years ago, they won the NIT. Uh, They've also had one runner-up performance. After that, we have Rutgers. Rutgers rounds out Tier 4, Uh, They've had one Final Four appearance, also not remotely recently, uh, one Elite Eight appearance, two Sweet Sixteens, and a grand total of six NCAA tournament bursts. They've won nine conference titles, however, and four conference tournament titles. They've also been at the NIT 14 times, but they've only shown up to get one runner-up appearance. After that, we come to the bottom of the Big Ten in Tier 5. And uh, if you haven't noticed, these are generally in order of how I rank them in terms of uh, success or not success at this point. Um, So rounding out the bottom here, we have Minnesota at the top of Tier 5. Minnesota has one Elite Eight appearance, three Sweet Sixteens, 
By the way, they would have one Final Four, but they cheated. And as I said, I don't count NCAA vacated uh, appearances. So one Elite Eight appearance, three Sweet 16 appearances, the last one of which was in 1990, uh, which is obviously, or uh, which is also the same time that they made the Elite Eight. And they've only been to the NCAA 10 times total, just 10 times. So at least unlike Rutgers and um, unlike Penn State, they've been to the NCAA double digits, but still. Uh, They have eight conference titles, however, and they've been to the NIT 13 times, taking the uh, championship home twice and two other times heading home as number two as the runner-up. Northwestern just edges out Nebraska in this one. Um, the reasoning on this, once again, just goes purely to the NCAA success. Uh, I think, honestly, there's a good case to be made that Nebraska is arguably better than Northwestern in terms of accomplishments. Uh, but just for fun, I'm going to go ahead and say Northwestern edges out Nebraska on this one. Uh, as we all know, Northwestern has actually made it to the NCAA uh, just once but they did win their one and only game in the first round. They proceeded to exit out in the second, but they made the NCAA tournament and won a game. They also had two conference titles. Uh, Those both came in the 30s, 1931 and 1933. Uh, And that's it. That's it for their conference titles. They've been to the NIT seven times and have not to show for it. Uh, Coming up last in the Big Ten for these rankings is Nebraska, who, unlike Northwestern, has been to the NCAA tournament seven times, but they haven't won a single game. They're 0-7. So, I I don't know. What do you guys think? Share in the comments. You know, is it, or tweet at, at bangs and dags, whichever you choose. Is it fair to say Nebraska should sit behind Northwestern because they've been to the NCAA seven times and lost? Northwestern's been once and one. Or should Northwestern be behind Nebraska because Nebraska has managed to make it seven times, even though they lost every time, and Northwestern still only made it once, even though they did win that one time. The other thing to keep in mind, Nebraska also has six conference championships to Northwestern's two. Uh, However, it's not like it's very recent. Their uh, most recent conference championship for the Cornhuskers came in 1950. Uh, which was a shared title, mind you, back in the days of the Big Seven with Kansas and Kansas State. They also have one conference tournament championship from the days of the Big Eight. Uh, Nebraska also has 19 NIT bursts compared to Northwestern's seven, and they even have an NIT title in 1996. So that rounds it out for the Big Ten, but let's pretend like it's still the days of the Big Eight, uh, because frankly, I I can. I, I only have so much time to do research, and doing the Big Twelve uh, was just a little bit too much. Um, besides, it's a Big Eight. Everybody likes the Big Eight more than the Big Twelve, I think, for the most part. So we're just going to stick with that. What would Nebraska look like against its peers if it was still the days of the Big Eight? Well, we can answer that. <sighs> At the top of the list is the Kansas Jayhawks. They're uh, one of two teams in Tier 1 for the Big 8. Kansas has three titles. They have six times that they've also made the title game and lost. They have 15 Final Fours, although, to be fair, 
it should only be 14 because they had a cheating clock keeper in the 1986 uh, Sweet 16, which uh, had had we actually done that, then they wouldn't have made the Final Four that year, obviously, because they would have lost in the Sweet 16. So 15, arguably 14 Final Fours. They have 24 Elite Eights, arguably 23 for the same reason. Um, not really sure why I seem to have forgotten to pull how many Sweet 16s they've been to, but they've been to 48 NCAA tournaments for a nation's best 30 straight, still an active streak. Uh, if we're being honest, that should probably end and be vacated because of the fact that uh, a lot of those streaks should, or a, a lot of those appearances should be getting vacated by the NCAA based on their determination here on uh, level one violations that they were notified of last fall. So for now it's 30, probably won't be for long. We'll see. Uh, Kansas also has an utterly absurd 62 conference titles. They've won their conference 62 times and 15 conference tournament titles. Now if Patrick were here, which he's not, and therefore I get to say this without him objecting, frankly, that's just pathetic that one team can win the conference 62 times. That's absurd. Yes, a lot of them are shared. But frankly, that's just a weak conference. If one team can win it 62 times. Come on. Get real. It's just utterly absurd. It, it's a conference that doesn't have much in the way of basketball if one team can win the same conference 62 times. And frankly, I think that that's fair when we go down the full list of the rest of the Big 8 schools that the Big 8 was just not a particularly great basketball conference. Maybe that's a hot take. Maybe I'm going to make a lot of listeners mad. But you know what? The harsh truth can hurt sometimes. And having one team win 62 conference titles is a perfect example of having a not great conference in the sport of basketball, because that's ridiculous. So next up, Oklahoma State, the only other team in the conference to have multiple national titles. Guess what? They came in 1945 and they came in 1946, back when the NCAA tournament wasn't even the premier conference or the, the premier postseason tournament, the NIT was. They also have one runner-up appearance in 1949. Once again, refer back to my comments about the NIT being the premier tournament of the time. They have six Final Four appearances, two of which have come since 1951. They have 11 Elite Eights, three of which were in seasons where there were only eight teams. So there, there was nothing behind that. That's essentially just there were three times where they made the NCAA. They have 11 Sweet 16 appearances, and they've been to the NCAA 28 total times. They have 19 conference titles and four conference tournament titles. They also have 12 NIT appearances, but no hardware to show out of it. In Tier 2 for the Big 8, we have Oklahoma and Kansas State. Uh, neither of these schools have any national titles. After Kansas, um, not Kansas State, I'm sorry. After Oklahoma State and Kansas, no Big 8 schools have a national title in basketball. So technically, one could look at this if it was the Big 10. These schools would be in Tier 3. Oklahoma 
as I said, two runner-up appearances, five total Final Fours, nine Elite Eights, ten Sweet Sixteens, and they've been to the NCAA 32 total times. Top of that, they have 14 conference titles and seven conference tournament titles. They've been to the NIT seven times and also still have only managed one runner-up appearance. They don't even have an NIT title. Kansas State has one runner-up appearance in the NCAA. They have four Final Fours. They haven't been since 1964, mind you. They have 13 Elite Eights, one of which was also back when there was only eight teams in an NCAA bracket. So not really an accomplishment there. One could arguably say, therefore, they've only really truly been to 12 Elite Eights in the modern concept of what that means. Uh, They've been to 17 Sweet 16s, and they've been to 31 NCAA tournaments. They have 19 conference titles, two conference tournament titles, and they've been to the NIT seven seven times, and they haven't even managed a runner-up appearance. After that, we have Tier 3. In Tier 3, we have Colorado at the top of that with two Final Fours. Uh, Mind you, they came in 1942 and 1955. On top of that, um, they have uh, six Elite Eight appearances, not since 1963. They have eight Sweet 16s, and they've been to the NCAA a grand total of 14 times. They have 19 conference titles, but the last one came in 1969, and they won one conference tournament title after they joined the Pac-12. They also have been to the NIT 11 times, uh, but they have no hardware to show for it. After that, Iowa State has been to one Final Four in 1944. They've been to the Elite Eight twice. They've been to five Sweet 16s, and they've made the NCAA a total of 20 times. They also have six conference titles and six conference tournament titles, two of which are compliments of Coach Hoiberg by the way. Um, and then they have three NIT appearances, and they have nothing to show for it. Finally, rounding out the bottom in Tier 4, we have Missouri. Missouri has four Elite Eights, one of which came when there were only eight teams in the tournament. <laughs> There's a theme here to the uh, Big Eight schools. Uh, they have six Sweet 16 appearances, and they've been to the NCAA an impressive 26 times. Uh, After that, they have 15 conference titles and eight conference tournament titles, including winning their last conference tournament as a Big 12 school before they left out the door to go to the SEC. Apparently the refs didn't feel like rigging that one, now did they? Thanks a lot, Big 12. And you know what we think of that. Uh, After that, they have eight NIT trips in which they have gone two and eight. They've managed one win twice and then promptly lost every other game that they played in the tournament. So really, if we look at this, when it comes down to it, if we add the Big Eight into the uh, Big Ten, frankly, the Big Ten blows the Big Eight out of the water. And second of all, it still boils down to it that Nebraska, if we were using the exact same tier definition, 
would be all by itself in tier five if they were in the big eight, unfortunately. So even if we handicap it by going to a lesser basketball conference, yes, I'm going to be mean and say a lesser basketball conference. Unfortunately, the Huskers are actually still further down. Now, what that correspondingly can also mean if somebody wants to show throw shade at the Big Ten is you can look at the accomplishments of Big Ten schools and point out that it's a larger conference and as a result has more teams down at the bottom. True, but they also have more teams at the top. As an example, the Big Ten has five teams all having at least one national title. The Big Eight has two. That's 50% of the Big Ten. If we go back to the days of when it was the Big Ten before they even added Penn State, since we are talking about the Big Eight after all, 50% of the Big Ten had a basketball championship prior to Penn State joining when it was still 10 teams. Big Eight. 25 percent so even if you narrow it down uh to back in the pre-big 10 days uh still superior conference in terms of the top and the middle and there you have it that's where nebraska sits it doesn't unfortunately matter too much which conference they're in if it's the big eight days or the big 10 unfortunately uh when it comes to postseason tournaments uh success conference titles NIT verse, they're pretty much down at the bottom with everybody else for the most part. Uh, so when we do talk about the fact that there's not much of a foundation at Nebraska in terms of success to sell anybody on, that's what we're talking about uh, whenever we, whenever fans talk about that. So now that we've had that sad uh, trip down memory lane of accomplishments, that will uh, round it out for us for this episode. Uh, as I said, I'll uh, throw up a poll question on uh, who won the first ever NCAA tournament in 1939. Uh, be sure to vote. And uh, we look forward to being back here next week with you uh, again. So you stay classy, Lincoln and Nebraska, and also stay home and stay safe.